This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Twitter. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Welcome to the latest episode of The Obsessive Viewer. We're a weekly movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show each episode. You can find back episodes at ovpodcast.com, find the blog at obsessiveviewer.com, and subscribe to the subreddit at r slash obsessiveviewer. And for the last time this year, yeah. if uh, if you're in the in the Indianapolis area, I'm going to be so glad when I don't have to stutter through that. <laughs> um <laughs> If you're around Indianapolis, seriously, I could have been doing that the entire time. Um, If you're around Indianapolis and you want to help celebrate the horror genre and uh, and support a fine local community, uh, come see us at the Irving in Irvington at Shocktober in Irvington. It's a one night event screening of short horror films directed by local filmmakers, and uh, we're going to be giving out giving away prizes. we're going to be raffling off prizes, uh, having Q and A's with the with the uh, with the filmmakers. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be at the Irving Theater. All money we make is going to be going directly to the Irvington Historical Society. You can find more information at shocktoberinirvington.com, and uh, also buy tickets online there too. There's links all over the place. Whew. Are you excited about Shocktober, Tiny? I am looking forward to it. Nice, me too. Yeah. It's uh, it's going to be good. It's it is. Good. Yeah. Um. So this week's episode is a little different. We we teased it in last week's episode. Um, basically, I blatantly stole this idea from another podcast. The um, <laughs> film spotting film spotting SVU podcast has a segment where they basically tell each other a number and then they pick a random um, title from their Netflix queue. But before we get started on that, Tiny, mm-hmm. um, I kind of want to share a and uh, a story. <laughs> <laughs> About one of the most exciting and, and best theater going experiences of my entire life, really. And I'm anxious to hear about it. Yes, seriously. Awesome. Like, I'm I wish I could have gone. Yeah, I yeah, I was I was going to uh, to text you and be like, dude, you, you should you should be here, you should come here. <laughs> but anyway, um, I went to a science science fiction um, movie marathon at the Art Craft Theater in Franklin, Indiana. And yes, ladies, I am really single. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but the, the Art Craft Theater, the historic Art Craft Theater in Franklin, Indiana, is a, is a uh, classic like art, art deco theater, theater um, in the heart of Frank, Franklin, Indiana, which is about 35 miles away from where I live on the west side of Indianapolis. And uh, they were hosting an event that was a uh, two-night, uh, two-day-long two seven movie long uh, marathon of classic sci-fi movies and holy crap man mm-hmm. this was such such a blast um yeah yeah one of the one of the sponsors of it was this was this uh company called canines in action and uh they they uh were ho- having a giveaway of of um tickets for the weekend weekend passes uh for the best pun sci-fi related pun on their facebook page <laughs> and uh <laughs> Did you happen to read my pun, Tiny? I did. Okay, good. So, so for our listeners, uh, the pun had to be sci-fi related, and you get bonus points if it was dog related. So, again, I'm going to preface this by saying I'm really single. Um, <laughs> the pun that I made was, <clears throat> and I quote, 
The crew of the Enterprise were surprised when the transporter beamed up a dog. After a moment of consideration, Kirk decided to have McCoy evaluate it. The dog became attached, and whenever anyone would approach McCoy, the dog would growl and get very territorial. You know how dogs get when they have bones. Ah! Ah, with bones, of course, being uh, capitalized because that is the name of McCoy. Anyway. I thought it was good. Thank you. Thank you. You won, right? I did. I did. Nice. I was one of the one of the entries that that won, so I got weekend passes for the entire event. But I would have, cl- I would have easily paid the thirty dollars to to for the thing. Which, mm-hmm. man, seven movies for thirty dollars is an amazing deal. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and uh, I'll just run through what movies they showed there. Um. Okay. Uh. Friday night they had the original Godzilla. Nice. Which was the original 1954 Toho production Godzilla, uh, Japanese everything. Um, it w- I was kind of worried going into it that it would be the uh, 1956 um, Americanized yeah. edit of it with Raymond Burr. But fortunately, it was the original 1954 movie. Mm-hmm. And I, I hadn't seen... Godzilla, the original Godzilla, in over, probably a little over a decade when me and Mike were taking a film class at USI, and man, that <laughs> it holds up so well. It's so it's so awesome. It's it's. I mean, I can't really speak that high, uh, high, uh, highly enough about it. But it's mm. um, you know, the Godzilla like franchise and everything kind of gets. Like what's the what's the when you think of the Japanese Godzilla movies of old, what is the what what perspective do you have on that? What's what's your thoughts on that? Like your uh, perspective, like camp, campy, campiness, but like cheesiness, and you know, goofy guys in suits destroying miniature sets. I'm so, that's yeah, that's that's <laughs> how it's that's how it's perceived. And man, this original. Have you seen the original? I've Godzilla? never seen it, but I have it on Blu-ray. Oh, nice, yeah. nice. I didn't know that. I Interesting. Do. Yes, I have it on DVD. So screw you. Um, <laughs> no, but it's uh, go home and watch it like as soon as you can because yeah. it's it's so much more than that. It's a really great. Like, there's so much uh, subtext about about uh, weaponization and yeah. and the like nuclear arms and and the humankind's tendency to put weapon weapons above science basically uh-huh. it's just such a powerful movie and uh and it does have a little bit of cheese there's a line where it's uh where it's like this is one of the guys uh a scientist in the movie refers to something as the water the oxygen destroyer and then he says in the next line in other words it destroys oxygen <laughs> something to that effect nice. it's really funny but anyway i've heard that analogy before though like I've, the whole destruction and like you know the whole bomb scare red, mm-hmm. the red scare stuff or whatever um i heard someone say that you know the u.s had dr strange love and the japanese had godzilla yeah, yeah yeah and it's uh it's so it's more powerful because it's you know this was made a little over 10 years after or probably less than 10 years after you know we nuked him yeah <laughs> and a uh, big part of godzilla is that you know he's radioactive and stuff so there's like scenes where and this is like freaking heartbreaking where after a um after a scene of destruction uh like there's a there's a quick shot of a of a guy having a geiger counter to a kid and it going off crazy and it's Jeez. like it's so it's moving it's incredibly moving and really wow. sad Let's see. So that Godzilla, that was the first movie of, of Friday night. And uh, and by the way, I'm going to have a post on obsessiveviewer.com with all this links in the show notes and everything with more, a uh, more uh, less condensed version of my thoughts on it. Uh, the next movie was The War of the Worlds, a 1953 original. Uh, nice. Tenny, have you seen this? No. Oh, okay. Um, I hadn't seen it either, and I have to say that going after um, 
playing it after Godzilla mm-hmm. was was a little bit to its detriment. Um, <laughs> some of the some of the acting was really cheesy and over the top and everything. And but uh, I will say that the the special effects for 1953 of the Martians and and the their weapons were was really uh, really held up really well. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so that was it for Friday night. And then Saturday was. Saturday was five movies. I was wow. there for 12 hours. Jeez. Yeah. And uh, before I get into what the movies were and everything, I just want to mention that the Artcraft Theater is freaking amazing. Like, yeah. it's seriously incredible. I can't overstate it enough. Um, long, long time listeners will remember me raving about a movie theater in Osgood, Indiana called the Damn Theater. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that it's the same kind of, it's like an Art Deco theater and everything. And I, I mean, I liked it a lot. I only went there once. Um, but I just overall just had such a such a pleasant experience at, at the art craft that it makes me want to seek out these kinds of antique theaters and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. um, so a couple of the things that were pretty pretty interesting before I get into what uh, all happened on Saturday is that, <laughs> is that before each screening um, they do they do it seems like every year they do um, these marathons like they have like one marathon of each season of it which I'm so disheartened because uh this is the fourth time that they've done it the uh previous three times were two alfred hitchcock marathons right and uh a universal monster monsters marathon which that would have been so cool to see so totally yeah but uh but they had like they had like a clipboard with uh with uh sheets on it for people to to request or or recommend stuff Mm -hmm. i was very happy to see 2001 listed a lot and blade runner and uh i put down 12 angry men um, oh, that's a good one. Yeah, and I really wanted to see uh, like Mr. Smith goes to Washington and mm-hmm. all that. I'm gonna I'm gonna email them a very extensive list of <laughs> of recommendations and stuff. And they will um, appreciate that. I'm sure that they will. <laughs> um, but it was kind of unique because with these marathons and stuff, the way that they do it is they in between movies they have people everyone leave the go into the lobby. Really? Yeah, so that they can sweep up and and clean up and everything, which I thought was a nice. Uh, economic way to uh efficient way of doing it i guess mm-hmm. um also before each screening was uh everyone in the theater had to stand and sing along to the national anthem oh which was interesting yeah it was interesting i will say that uh it you know it got the blood flowing and all that and you know uh sitting in not sitting in one spot but it was, it was kind of unique after seven movies i was a little bit like okay guys but um but it was cool because it was it was shot it, like they it wasn't like everyone just standing like standing around just singing it at anything like they played a, a reel of of uh, oh, okay. of the national anthem it was it was pretty cool it was, it was nice uh it made me feel if this is possible it made me feel nostalgic for yeah. a time in which i was never alive <laughs> um huh and then in lieu of like trailers and stuff cuz this is an independent theater and everything they played a uh, <laughs> they played old uh, Looney Tunes clips. Oh, cartoons. that's awesome! Very awesome! Wow! And uh, never saw the same cartoon twice in the seven movies. Um, so they must have they must have quite a bit. Mm. Um, I was really really partial to the Wiley e. Coyote and Roadrunner ones, but nice. But for the most part, all of them were were a lot of fun. It was it was such a that's such a unique experience. I, I can't really overstate it. Well, it sounds like they were like super committed to that. Mm-hmm. You know, just sticking to the ambiance and the um that whole that whole genre or era yeah. era i guess is a yeah word. oh yeah and uh that kind of leads into the first movie of saturday basically um 
<laughs> I really, I was really, uh, I wasn't sure about this movie when I saw like, um, when I saw the, when I saw the thing, cause this was the one movie that wasn't like from the fifties or sixties or anything. It's this movie called Gila, uh, spelled G I A L A. It's, uh, from 2012. It's a movie. It's, it's like, a. It's like a. Th- it's. It was filmed and produced in Franklin, Indiana, mm-hmm. and it's about a mutated Gila monster that <laughs> rises up and and wreaks havoc over the town of Franklin in the 1950s. <laughs> so this movie, like, I was so I saw the trailer on on IMDb and I was like, okay, this this looks like it could be fun, but it also looks kind of just a little too cheesy for me. Yeah. Um, so I really contemplated just just skipping out on that one and going to the second movie. Um, instead, but I went and I'm so happy that I did because this movie was delightful. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was, uh, it was such a fun, like throwback to like fifties monster movies and stuff like that. And I mean, the, the acting is, is pretty subpar and the story is a little, is a little flimsy, but I mean the, the, the charisma of the actress, like, like there's so many, like it, it has such a, uh, a kind of wholesome, wholesome fifties, nostalgia town nostalgia kind of feel to it mm-hmm. that like all the characters are really likable and and really just really fun to watch and uh there's a lot of bloodshed in it yeah <laughs> it's so crazy like within about 15 20 minutes maybe like five or six people have already been killed by this monster Jeez. and uh i have to say i'm really impressed that for a movie that was uh locally produced and I'm sure obviously independently produced uh, in Franklin, Indiana of all places, the special effects and like the animation of, of the monster was really, really well done. Nice. Uh, yeah. And also I must uh, give a shout out to the sound design of it. Cause like hearing that monster roar was just the standout of the movie. It was amazing. <laughs> nice. Um, so that's Gila and it's, a, it's also available on uh, Amazon prime nice. uh, streaming. So check it out if you have that. Cause it's a lot of fun. And also, it features a, a couple shots of the art craft in it. So nice, yeah. Uh, next up after that was Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1956. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you seen any of the? I have. I've seen that one. Nice. The 56 one. Yeah. Nice. What did you think of it? Yeah, for the time, I thought it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it that was in the the middle of all the you know the like the B and C movie sci fi movies that were yeah. like really crappy. Yeah. <laughs> and and it, it it has a little bit of that aesthetic to it, but it's it has a much better script, I think, and it the the story itself was really compelling. Um, I liked it totally. Um, I liked it a lot. It was uh, I wrote that it's a powerful rumination on the nature of paranoia and fear. Um, it was also made during the uh, during the Red Scare and everything, so right, there had right. some subtext to it there. Um, I I really really liked it. It made me really want to seek out the 1978 remake with Donald Sutherland. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I really liked it. Um, that's all, that's all I'll say about that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> next up was, oh, by the way, um, during that movie, our friend Matt Quiet from Nerds Domain arrived at the theater, uh, with a couple of friends. And so I nice. got to hang out with him for a while. Um, and also Shirley eventually joined him there too. So cool. Yeah, it was fun. It was totally fun. Um, then next up was Forbidden Planet, 1956. <laughs> Uh, you haven't seen that, have you? I have not. Okay, I can't remember if I brought it up on the podcast or not because I watched it a couple months ago, um, yeah. just for S's and G's. Yeah. Um, but 
it's such a good movie. It's yeah. it's so great. It's like a it's a classic sci-fi movie. It was the base it was the main inspiration for Gene Rottenberry making Star Trek. Wow. The original series. And I mean, if you watch Star Trek and then you go into Forbidden Planet with that knowledge, you will see like you'll you'll see exactly how how it influenced him. Like um the movie is about <laughs> human human beings have have mastered interstellar space travel um, or faster or faster than light speed travel, and so there's a there's an expedition toward this planet where this this crew of of space faring people from the feder not the federation that's Star Trek but from the from the equivalent of the federation in, in this movie um, they go to this planet that a scientist has been at for forever and they've lost contact with him I guess and so they go to this planet and find that he's the only one there and that he and his daughter. Um, have basically been living there and it's it's this very interesting kind of uh, um, it's loosely based on Shakespeare's the, the Tempest and it's 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 really interesting how it kind of plays into the psyche of, of people and, and um, not necessarily isolation but um, the id basically of, of people. I okay. Guess. So it's, so it's, it's, it's really good. And, uh, you can definitely see where Gene Roddenberry took a lot of inspiration from it. Uh, because there's, there's a lot of, uh, the archetypes of, of like Kirk and bones and, uh, uh, Spock mm-hmm. are kind of, kind of there in very loose, 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 loose terms. Okay. Um, there's a lot more to it, but it's, but it's definitely worth checking out and, and seeing it, Oh my god, I forgot to mention this. The Artcraft has this this policy or or this not necessarily policy. Well, one of the policies is that they uh will only screen a movie if it's been if it's been out for longer than 10 years. Interesting. Like that's the bare minimum. Yeah. Um and also 90% of the of the films shown there are on 35mm film. Oh, cool. Yeah, and like the only the only way that it's the only way that it's not on on uh, 35 millimeter is if it's not available <laughs> to them. On wow. Like uh, one of the guys that was there was talking about how um, he had to go through a bunch of paperwork just to get um, Godzilla. And uh-huh. I don't think they actually ended up getting Godzilla. I think they got a Blu-ray print of it because there was so much paperwork. But there was a uh, – like he, he mentioned like there was a paperwork, just a ton of stuff that he had to go through just to get the rights to get it. Really? Yeah. So they go through a lot of, a lot of legal stuff in order to get their stuff. Yeah. Um, finally, uh, the last two movies of the night were planet of the apes, 1968 nice. and night of the living dead, 1968. Okay. Nice. Which we screened at shock to Nerve 10 last year. So way to copy. Of Starcraft. Uh, right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I will say planet of the apes. Oh, by the way, I'm seeing, seeing the 35 millimeter print of, uh, forbidden planet was really awesome. It was a little yeah. bit of an aged one, but it was like I was sitting kind of closer to the back, and I could I could smell it coming from the projection booth, and it was huh. so. I mean, it was a little it was a little strong, but it was also like this is so this is such a a, a unique experience for yeah, me, yeah. Because you just don't see that anymore. You don't experience that. Is that on Netflix or anything? Forbidden Planet? Yeah. Uh, no, Dang. no. But it's available for rent on iTunes and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Um. So Planet of the Apes. Also 35 millimeter, just beautiful to see uh-huh. on the big screen. It was amazing. And uh, I cannot overstate how how amazing it was being in a packed theater and hearing like a packed theater watching Planet of the Apes on 35 millimeter 
in the theater and hearing everyone applaud and cheers and uh, um, applause when when uh, uh, Charlton Heston said his iconic uh, "Take your damn um, damn dirty paws off me" or "Take your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty apes." <laughs> like that at that at that scene, everyone just erupted in applause. It was so it was so amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and then. Uh, Night of the Living Dead was awesome. It was kind of funny because that was a very, uh, a very fitting movie to end on because I kind of felt like I was a little bit of the Living Dead there because I was yeah. just exhausted. I even contemplated leaving before that screening, mm-hmm. but I'm glad that I stuck around because it was it was it was a lot of fun. So uh, yeah, and and I just want to say that they have more screenings um, throughout the rest of the year. Right now, uh, tickets are on sale for their Christmas. Uh, screenings that are tiny. You're gonna love this. Um, <laughs> November 27th and 28th are showing Elf. Uh, nice. December's December 4th, 5th, and 6th they're showing A Christmas Story. Nice. December 11th, 12th, and 13th they're showing White Christmas. Oh yeah. And uh, December 18, 19, and 20 they're showing Christmas Vacation. So wow. It's uh, if you're if you're able to go there, I highly recommend it because it's so. It's such a unique theater and a unique experience. And I mentioned when, like, when I was leaving, I talked to the um, one of the guys working there. I was like, "Hey, I would love to come down and like interview guys for for the podcast about this and all that." And like, they thanked me for tweeting throughout the throughout the whole event because I tweeted and nice. make sure I tag them on everything. <laughs> <laughs> so these poor people, like, they're they're trying to they're trying to do this event and then and then they keep getting notifications on their phone of this, <laughs> this guy. like the projector is trying to like line up the, the film right <laughs> and it's like ding damn it <laughs> yeah yeah i've actually i actually saw a movie there when i was really young and the nice. only the only thing i remember is i don't even remember what movie i saw there but i remember <laughs> thinking how cool it was that they pulled up like the big red velvet curtain before yes i was like whoa what why don't they do this anymore that was cool <laughs> right you know and I, I that's the only thing i remember i was probably like six or seven <laughs> um but yeah that's uh, i haven't been back since I, sh- I definitely want to go now it's oh man it's so awesome they're showing uh here in a couple weeks they're this weekend they're showing bride of frankenstein and oh then, that's a good one yeah and then next week next week they're showing uh gremlins i think <laughs> awesome. and uh yeah but unfortunately I won't be able to go next week or anything because we, and this is transitioning into our, not necessarily our topic yet, but we, Tiny, have press passes for the first time for yeah, we do. the Heartland Film Festival. Yes. Um, yeah, which is exciting. I'm excited oh, for Oh, totally, it. yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I've already, I've been spending the last couple of days at work kind of going through the schedule and circling what movies I want to see and, and what times I want to see. And it's crazy because this weekend we have... Sharktober and Irvington on Friday, and then Saturday I'm planning on spending the day at the theater. Nice. And then Sunday spending the day at the theater. <laughs> and then Monday, if I can get the day off, the day at the theater. <laughs> and then the rest of the week, basically coming home from work, changing clothes, and going to the theater and seeing one or two movies wow. each day. It's going to be exhausting, um, yeah. but it's going to be fun. That's cool. So, Tiny, how many movies are you going to see? I'm not sure yet. I mean, <laughs> you just gave me my pass and everything. I and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the same thing probably at lunch tomorrow oh, or nice. sometime this week. I'll nice. sit there and go through what I want to see. Yeah. there's. Uh, I'm so I'm kind of bummed because I told you about this last week, but the, there's opening it with the movie Room with Brie Larson, mm-hmm. and that's the same night as Shocktober and Irvington, yeah. and they're not, they don't have any other screenings of that movie. So It's a bummer. Yeah. But anyway, we'll report back about... Heartland Film Festival in a couple weeks. 
Mm-hmm. But for now, Tiny, we are doing <laughs> our main topic. Finally. Half an hour into the episode. <laughs> um, if you listen to last week's episode, you'll know that we... Um, <laughs> that we kind of decided to do something a little different. I mentioned it earlier on the on the podcast. Kind of ripped it straight out of a uh, uh, Compton note. Um, <laughs> sorry, Film Spotting SVU. They basically take a take a movie and or they t- they assign each other a number and then they watch whatever number whatever movie is on their Netflix queue in that in that number. That's one of the segments of their podcast, and I recommend that podcast because it's awesome. Matt Singer and Allison Wilmore are awesome. So what we did was we just said, hey, um, 101. Yep. And so we each picked number 101 from our respective Netflix queues. Mm -hmm. And uh, before we get started on yours, Tiny, I do want to mention that uh, maybe we should have like a veto policy (laughs) or something (laughs) or like a backup number. Yeah. Because uh, do you want to do you want to go ahead and talk about the the movie that was number one hundred one on your list? Yes, number one hundred one on my list was a documentary called The Source Family. Um, it came out twenty fourteen, I believe. I think so, and I yeah yeah I think so, something like that. Um, but uh, th- this is one of those movies where I'm sure anyone who has Netflix has had this before. You open up Netflix and you're searching for things to watch something that sounds good and you end up scrolling through like all your recommendations and you end up like you end up spending like 45 minutes or an hour or an hour and a half just adding things to your queue. The plight of the Netflix user. Yes. yes, Yeah. And so the source family was a result of me, you know, being a pretentious douche and watching a bunch of net, watching a bunch (laughs) of documentaries and it, so Netflix basically recommends every single documentary they have to me, and I end up going through and just like yes, yes, ooh, that's oh, it's about the, oh, that's post war, oh, that's about art, and oh my god, an occult, and so that like, one's about dams, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, and so that that's how I stumbled upon the Source Family, um, and what this film is about is essentially a cult in the late 60s all the way through the late 70s um, of a basically just kind of your standard when you think of like a like a hippie a hippie commune kind of culty thing this is like the prime example and and I believe it's one of the most famous examples Um, it's it's about this guy named uh, Jim Baker who was he's like an army veteran and he was a a business owner um, in Los Angeles and he owned this vegetarian restaurant and uh, he he just it turns out he's just this incredibly charismatic and charming person. He's like one of those people that's kind of larger than life, you know. Like everyone's just kind of drawn to him, and he he just has this ability to have people follow him, and 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 people want to listen to him. He just he's just one of those charismatic people. Um, and he he basically just started sharing his ideas, and and, and through this restaurant in L.A., kind of started. Uh, it's called the Source Restaurant. Um, just, just basically started a cult. I mean, that, that's all there is to it. Um, it. It was a a relatively peaceful cult. You know, it was it was it was a uh, um it was influenced by the you know the free love culture of the the late '60s and right. and and it's you know it was it was all these people who were seeking something positive amidst Vietnam and all the political turmoil throughout the world and. 
And uh, it's it's just it's part of this it's just part of the hippie movement, and 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 that's what these people were. They they ended up they ended up buying a house, and they all moved in together, and they smoked weed and took acid and <laughs> mushrooms and all that stuff, and just they 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 kind of treated this guy Jim Baker, um, who later changed his name to Yehova. Um, <laughs> they just basically treated him like a prophet, and and later on throughout the, the genesis of the, um, the life of the, the cult, he was basically just considered himself a God. Um, so that's, that's kind of the story and it's, it's, it's an interesting story. It's kind of, it's kind of crazy. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting to see you hear about that kind of stuff, but it was, it was kind of cool to hear firsthand accounts of the people who actually lived through it and everything. Um, so that was good, but the documentary itself really wasn't that great. Um, you don't say. <laughs> it was. I thought it was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciated their 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 ability to. I, I loved. I loved the music. The way they because this, of course, they were a bunch of hippies. They made their own music, <laughs> and so it's very rare and kind of coveted music in the psychedelic genre, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so they used the, this the Source family's music throughout the whole documentary, and it it created a certain ambiance that I think was fitting for the for the documentary and i actually liked their their commitment to use only source family music that was pretty cool nice they Um, got it from the source they did straight from the source's mouth um (laughs) (laughs) you're welcome (laughs) oh my god um and the other thing that i thought was a positive about the documentary is that they kind of showed how how these kinds of cults essentially there's no other word for it these groups mm-hmm. how they they have kind of a set course in their evolution because you know it all starts out very humble and you, you they all have a leader but you know after a while the leader starts controlling people a little more right. and then it turns out oh i'm actually god <laughs> and then it turns out either the leader dies and everybody leaves or the leader convinces everyone to kill themselves. That's that's kind of how they. That's kind of how those types of groups and cults evolve. Um, and they sort of. I, I kind of appreciated the way that was laid out throughout the documentary, and it was addressed. Um, you don't approve of that, right, or anything? No. Okay. Of course not. I need to change some of the plans I have for obsessive viewers <laughs> going forward. Yeah, the guy who has a podcast called The Secular Perspective, t- totally all about that. <laughs> nice. <Yeah. laughs> um, but the no. secularperspective.com, go ahead. Yes, thank you. Um, but I, I appreciated those things about it, but at the end of the day, it was just kind of a shoddy documentary. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was a little too, a little too much talking heads and, and just kind of, um, I, I would have appreciated a little more some like expert psychologists talking about how this works or um, I, I don't know. I would have, I would have appreciated a little more analysis and a little more objectivity because it was mostly just the people who lived it being interviewed. Yeah. Like, and that's, that's, that's cool. Like I said, that's, that's something I'm interested in seeing, you mm-hmm. know, I want to hear their side of the story, but I, I just, I would have appreciated a little more, a little more objectivity in it. It um, not mo- monopolizing the entire documentary, basically. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, because, and, and to, the, to the credit of the people who were interviewed, some of them still long for those days, and they, they kind of still hold to that belief system, and they, they miss it 
but there's others who you know completely admit that it was craziness and it was it was not necessarily the best idea and it was it was a kind of a the leader kind of preyed on these people a little bit Jim Baker did um and and that was that was good to see but it wasn't quite the level of objectivity I was looking for in a documentary like this um interesting but I I mean I just thought it was okay uh, I, I've seen worse. And I've seen way, way better. <laughs> so how much of it did, did you watch the whole thing? <laughs> no. Okay. I Okay. So I got like, I got maybe like 40 minutes into it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, okay. From, from the start, I, I started it and I was already kind of crunched for time. So I could either watch that or I could watch uh, the thing that you're going to bring up for Potpourri. Mm-hmm. Um, failed miserably at watching either of them, really, because <laughs> uh, I couldn't finish the that thing and I didn't finish The Source Family. Yeah. Uh, from the outset, I was really disappointed that this was not a documentary about the Source Awards. Um, <laughs> kind of was really all about that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> no, but honestly, I from the start, like... It, like the the way I I could I could appreciate the way that it, the way that they handled some things like um, incorporating their own music into it did lead to a certain ambiance of it. Like I didn't actually like pick up on it, but in retrospect, I'm like, oh, okay, I could if I was more invested in the in in the story that was being told in the, in the subject matter, I would have been more drawn into it because of the music too. So I can totally mm-hmm. see your point there. But I mean. Maybe I'm just misinformed, but I mean, I didn't know anything about the Source family going in. I feel like there was several minutes or like uh, maybe 15 minutes before I even knew exactly what was going on exactly in terms of, of what the who these people were and everything. It was kind of it, – it didn't really give me the information up front um, to hook me in as someone who isn't that knowledgeable of, of the Source family or of, of that – what the documentary was about. So that kind of had some things going against it there from the beginning and kind of put me in a, in a bad headspace going into it. Mm-hmm. Um, then I kind of was like, okay, well maybe this can just be in the background while I edit my art craft, uh, post for the site. Mm-hmm. Then I looked up and, uh, there was a shot of what would have been a stillborn baby yeah, being born, and I was like, I don't, I don't want to see that. I, uh, <laughs> I've, I haven't, you know, to to the documentarian's credit, I hadn't considered whether or not I wanted to see a baby <laughs> being born dead. Yeah. Um, and you know, uh, turns out I don't. Um, <laughs> the baby lived though, because yeah. it was a miracle. But um, I was just like, well, I uh, don't show that. I I didn't I didn't get like why that particular shot made it into the film. Um, it just it was it wasn't constructive for me. It wasn't it was it didn't serve a purpose other than make me think. Okay, I'm gonna watch The Walking Dead now. Really? Um, yeah. I wow. How did you feel about that? I thought it was hugely effective because really? you know, in in the eyes of the people who witnessed it, it was literally a miracle. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. I don't want to spoil it, but it was literally a miracle that this child was essentially stillborn, born dead, and within a minute or two was brought to life by this by Jim Baker or Jehovah, as they called him. Um, that's that's a pretty amazing thing, and I think the fact that it existed on film, I, I think he almost had to show it because mm. it's it was such a such a historic thing for this group and in this story that to leave it out I think would have been a huge oversight and and it was so many people talked about it like it was a miracle and said they said it was the most amazing thing they've ever seen so 
I, I think it'd be kind of crazy to leave it out. I concede my point then. <laughs> um, I can totally see that. I, it was and, not a desirable thing to see. Right, right, I'll t- right. Oh, I t- totally concede that. I don't right. want to see it necessarily either. But but then again, you weren't in the middle of editing a post for a website and then looked up to see it. You weren't yeah. invested in what was being told to you. <laughs> so you do have that going for you. Yeah, yeah. And also, you it was not about a hip-hop award ceremony. Um, <laughs> so yeah, but and then I just kind of felt like... In terms of the subject matter and like hippies and like communes like that and 60s free love culture, that kind of thing, it's just not something that's really in my wheelhouse of interests yeah. or anything. And they referenced at what, around the point that I turned it off, they mentioned, uh, they'd mentioned something about Jim Baker wanting to. I don't remember exactly what it was, but they were being more careful because the Manson murders were happening. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Okay, so you're kind of basically, you know, you're referencing something that's a far more interesting subject matter. <laughs> and it's just like, I was like, I would much rather see a documentary about Manson and yeah. the Manson family rather than the Source family. Um, I did think it was interesting that they had the uh, bit about uh, polygamy, uh, how he had uh-huh. multiple wives and how uh, it how that affected the, the family's view of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was an interesting take and... Uh, if it's uh, explored more throughout the rest of the documentary, then good good on it. <laughs> but I don't think it was really for me, and I I won't end up finishing it. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. I thought I think it was just okay. Yeah. yeah, cool. Would you recommend that people watch it on Netflix? Um, well, to to your point, if you're interested in that subject matter, nice. definitely. I mean, it's probably one of the more more resourceful documentaries on the. Mm. Swing and a miss. <laughs> Aww. Aww. No, that was you know when you hit when you say from the source's mouth so early on you can't you can't match. Yeah, that. I can't top that. That's true. So, but, but yeah, I, so, I give you I, I commend you for your effort. Yeah, I tried. <laughs> um, so yeah, if you're interested in that, in that subject material, then then yeah, it's obviously a great a great example of it. But uh, and I wasn't overly interested in it myself, no. but I thought there could be something cool in there. So cool. Uh, do you have, do you know any other similar, uh, documentaries that, that deal with it better? I don't think I do. Did I, I just spring this on you? <laughs> you did. I, I, did, I, I yeah. didn't, I didn't look into it cause after this I realized, yeah, I, I mean, there's, there's some interesting stuff there, but there's way better documentaries about other subjects that I find way more interesting. Right. I enjoyed the damn documentary way more than this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you have it. Yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> Uh, so, Maddie, what did you watch? I watched 1994's The Crow. The Crow. Which was a Gap movie for me. Um, yeah. I'd never seen The Crow. Uh, very, uh, very popular movie. Um, fans of The Office will know that it is uh, uh, Dwight Schrute's all-time favorite movie. Yes. As referenced in Season 2, Episode The Fire. Um, <laughs> when they're saying they're Desert Island movies and then yeah. uh, Dwight kicks the wall and says The Crow... Um, anyway, uh, you know, I thought it was okay. Um, yeah. wasn't really that into it. Really. I wasn't, well, okay. So I really dug the style and the aesthetic of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it really, really made me want to revisit dark city, yeah. uh, which was made by the same director, um, a year or two after the crow. So for those who don't know, the crow is Brandon Lee's final movie. Um, I think he was just starting his career, really. Yeah, he was uh, young. Yeah, the son of Bruce Lee. It's a, I believe it's an adaptation of a comic book um, in which Eric Draven is uh, killed 
and along with his girlfriend. Um, and then he is resurrected by a crow, it seems. And given, uh, is basically invincible. Like he, he, like if he gets injured, he heals himself. So he goes back to exact vengeance on the, on the group of, uh, hoodlums that killed him and his girlfriend. Mm -hmm. So it's an interesting revenge story. Um, but I couldn't really connect to Eric Draven as a character. Uh, I don't feel like there was enough setup to his character and to his, uh, his relationship with the girlfriend. Like you, we kind of get just thrown into the mix where like, it's very, very quickly develops the, uh, or very quickly establishes the, the world that it's in, which is very grungy, like mid nineties, like, like grungy, dark depiction of, uh, of, uh, I don't even know. I don't even think it's a futuristic society or anything. It's just it's just a present day, dirty streets of. Uh, it's L.A., right? I almost want to say it's Detroit, but oh, I don't but I think remember. he. I think one of the hoodlums said your Motor City ass from somewhere. So he might have been re- referenced uh, something else. But it's it might be L.A. I don't know, but it's a very dark kind of grungy kind of kind of um, aesthetic to it, which I was really into. Like I yeah. thought that that the design of of the. Of the, of the world was really handled well, and the use of rain throughout it was uh, kind of a a really unique, not unique, but a really effective uh, way to establish and and maintain the tone uh, of the movie. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Like it's, going back to oh, Ernie Hudson's in this movie, Tiny. Yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I got a kick out of that. He was cool. He was a he was a cop. Um, but anyway, so so the movie it just I couldn't really connect to it on a story level really. Um it was cool to see Eric Draven go through and, you know, kick ass and 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 kill people, but it was also just like it just didn't didn't really land for me on a on a personal level, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um and there's it's very famous that Brandon Lee died during the filming of this movie. And uh, do you know anything about how he died during filming or anything? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. So I knew going into it that he had died. And I knew that I knew the way that he died was that uh, very tragically uh, they were, they, for a scene in which he gets shot, um, they were, they, had, they were firing blanks obviously, mm-hmm. but I think a uh, piece of a spent cartridge or something like that was yeah. lodged in the barrel. Mm-hmm. And so when it, when the blank fired, it actually got lodged in like, uh, was propelled into him and it struck his spine. I think did it. I think that's maybe what wow. killed him. That's like not... it, it went. It was so it, like it went through his abdomen and hit his mm-hmm. spine. I think. I think. I can't really okay. remember. Yeah, I didn't see that on the Snopes page, okay. but I mean, it's possible. I don't. Know. Uh, but anyway, he he died from from a, I guess, gunshot wound. With that basically, yeah, because yeah, it wasn't like a full on round Shra- shrapnel. Basically, shrapnel. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was, this is kind of morbid, but I was kind of watching it with that knowledge in my head. And I was thinking like, I wonder what scene it was that he, that he died in. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is kind of a screwed up thing to say, but he gets shot a lot in this movie. He does. It's like, it's kind of insane. Like there's so many scenes in which he's literally being shot, filled with bullets. Yeah. And so it was kind of, on one hand it was like, I wonder if this is the scene. And on the other hand, it's like. This is a weird movie to see that a guy died during filming from a gunshot wound uh, to see him get shot so many times yeah. in so many scenes but it's almost insensitive. It is. It's it's <laughs> it's, it's it's unnerving really. Yeah, it is. And uh but but the the truth is that he had died while they were shooting a scene, the the flashback scene of him uh, 
being him being murdered in, in the movie. Yeah. Um, and the scene was supposed to be that he was shot while carrying groceries. And uh, the film, it, there was there were rumors that that the shot, that the scene of him being shot in the movie is what like it was the actual footage of him being shot in real right. life, which is just patently false. Right. It's um, not true. Yeah. They. Uh, it's reported that they destroyed the destroyed the film of the footage. Um, which is the right thing to do. Yeah. 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 Um, but then, I mean, I believe that this is probably after the. Um, police took it for evidence and all that right but um but yeah so they ended up reshooting that and they obscured his face during that sequence because the because he, he wasn't available for filming anymore. right that sounds really horrible um yeah anyway so so yeah so there there's no weird thing there but one thing that kind of struck me about the movie kind of wrapping up because i don't really have that much more to say about it really mm-hmm. um is i i will I had the not expectations, but I, I had the the weight of of this movie's importance, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, in the history of of cinema, uh, weighing on me. So I knew that Brandon Lee was the son of Bruce Lee. So I just kind of assumed that there would be a lot of martial arts in this movie. Oh, and there's not. It's it's really there's not much in it. No. Yeah, and I was kind of like, okay, that's I I didn't know what to expect, or I I it just wasn't really what I expected. Yeah. Um, was Brandon Lee a martial artist? I have no idea. I don't know either. Yeah. Uh, I will say that he did. He did a fine job, though. Yeah. He, uh, he kind of had a charisma to him, and this—it's kind of weird. He kind of—he kind of reminded me of Heath Ledger. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oddly enough, totally. yeah. It was—it was very. That was added added another bit of sur- surreality. Uh, wow. Surreality. 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 I don't. Surreal- I'm not sure if that's a word. I don't know either. Surrealism. There you uh, go. <laughs> Holy crap! Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, I, I mean, I guess I'd give it probably a six point zero out of ten. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was cool, it was good, yeah. but I mean, I don't know. I just it was, I wasn't feeling it. Yeah, uh, yeah. You've seen this movie before? Did you watch it again recently, by chance? I didn't. I, okay. I wanted to, but I didn't. I've seen it before. I saw it back when I was a teenager in like yes. high school or something. Um, and yeah, I I, I kind of echo mostly. Most of what you said too. Nice. Um, I, I think, I think Alexander Proyas, the director, or mm-hmm. Alex Proyas, the director, is he? He's a good director, and I think he has he has a very like clear vision of what he wants his movies to look like mm-hmm. and the, the the feel he's going for. But I think as a result of that, a lot of other stuff takes a backseat. Yeah. Because um, I, I felt the same way about his other famous movie, Dark City. Mm. Um, he's done some other movies. He actually, I just looked him up. He directed iRobot. Yeah, that's right. I had no idea. I completely forgot. Because <laughs> um, that is not in the same aesthetic universe right. as these other two movies. Did um, you see iRobot by chance? Oh, yeah. Did you like it? Oh, that's a pretty good movie. Nice. Yeah. I, haven't, I haven't seen it. Nothing incredible, but solid <laughs> movie. <laughs> but um, I, I, I felt I had the same feeling in dark city as i did with the crow and that i was like man this just this looks amazing i mean the, yeah. the, the palette of this movie is just impressive um but what's going on again I, who, <laughs> what's who's doing what now what's the story who's this guy i think everything else just kind of took a backseat to it and that's unfortunate because it doesn't have to be that way exactly um, I, I remember very little of the crow mm. I, I remember snippets of like visuals but that's about it i don't remember the story yeah, yeah. There's a there's a scene early on in the crow where basically 
uh, Eric Draven has been resurrected and he's he's walking around he's he's disoriented and all that he goes back to the place where he died his where he lived i guess and uh you see these flashbacks to to his death and to to his relationship and all that and then and then he looks in the mirror and he just gets really just you know upset and it, this is the moment where he's like i'm going to exact revenge for for my death and then he uh, there's a mask there so maybe he was he was um inspired by just seeing the mask but he puts on the white paint mm -hmm. uh just other than other than the visual cue of a, of a mask like a kind of masquerade mask or something uh on the mirror uh, there's really no reason why he did that yeah. um and then and then he sets out to do it and it's kind of like it, i feel like there was like just steps missed in in his in his growth as a character in in which we could have latched onto him um latch on to his journey really and yeah. it was kind of it was kind of weird I, I don't know i did like the the interplay between him and uh ernie hudson's character i thought that that was that was fun mm -hmm. but yeah the the crow is just okay by my book yeah but it's 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 such a legendary movie because it's it, it's it's famous for brandon lee's death mm -hmm. which which was highly tragic um just because you know his <laughs> He grew up without a father, pretty much, and yeah. His, I mean, you know, Bruce Lee was, I mean, the, a definitive icon without without question. He yeah. he was so much more than an actor, and he represented so many things. And he tragically died young, and so I think Bruce Lee fans wanted to see a lot of his of Brandon Lee's father in him. Mm -hmm. They wanted him to kind of take up that take up that baton have the baton passed yeah. to him if you will um and he also tragically died yeah he was in his 20s yeah. i think early 20s even um <sighs> and to have him die tragically as well i it just it's just it's just it's it's a remarkable event and like a, a remarkable story but it's mm -hmm. it's just so tragic and it's 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 become a huge part of the movie's legacy right um so i mean i, I think it's absolutely worth seeing for those reasons um yeah i would say it's definitely worth seeing and and yeah you know, you might you might be more into it than I was. It just wasn't really for me. Yeah, um, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that the that the the tragedy behind the scenes really would have affected my my taking of the movie. Really, yeah, know? that's true. Um, yeah, so so that's the crow. It's on it's on Netflix and also on Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. Um. Here in the U.S., at least, I don't know about it internationally, but because Netflix is really weird about that. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So is that it for the? What did you? How did you feel about this, Tiny? I thought it was a good idea. I, th I think it's a fun experiment. You know. Yeah. It kind of. I had had the Source family in my queue forever and had been meaning to watch it and watch it and just never did. So, it, I think it's it's good for that. It it kind of forces you to watch something you've been pushing to the background. Yeah. Oh yeah. Which is good. You know, you don't have a choice. It's just kind of like, and, and and it allows us to go into something almost just something go into something very objectively right because yeah. that's that's one of the things and this might be a little behind the curtain inside baseball and everything but one of the reasons why we decided to do this was because we kind of struggled to come up with the topic uh for this for this week's episode um so so this was kind of a kind of way to switch things up so mm -hmm. uh let us know what you thought of this though because it's kind of weird because we're usually a, a movie and tv podcast that deals with a specific topic so these movies don't really have that much of a similarity to them right um 
and I still do think that we should have a veto policy in place. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so that's fair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or well, you do watch a lot of documentaries, like four vetoes in place. Is that, <laughs> that good? <laughs> yeah, but yeah. So so yeah, maybe we'll do this in the future or something. Mm-hmm. Um, do it again when we when we draw a blank. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, let's go to potpourri though. Um, first we're going to play for the last time the, uh, the promo for Sharktober Irvington. Here it is. Join the Obsessive Viewer podcast on October 16th, 2015 at the Irving Theater in Indianapolis for the Obsessive Viewer presents Sharktober in Irvington part two. It's a one-night event screening of short horror films from local artists J.P. Leck and Synapshot Productions. There will be giveaways, raffles, interviews with the filmmakers, and so much more. All proceeds will go directly to the Irvington Historical Society. Go to shocktoberinirvington.com for more details and prepare to be shocked. All right, so thank you to J.P. Leck, whose short film The Lantern will be premiering this Friday at the Irving Theater at our Sharktober and Irvington event. Uh, he provided the uh, promo for Sharktober and Irvington 2. So this part of the podcast is our potpourri section, which is the section of the podcast where we basically bring up anything we want as long as it smells good, anything that we've watched, uh, looking forward to watching, news, anything like that. Um since I kind of uh, jumped the gun and did a whole potpourri section for the first 20 <laughs> minutes of this episode, uh, how about you go ahead and give us uh, your what you got for potpourri, Tiny? Sure. Um, I mentioned last week I was super excited about The Walking Dead. That that was my potpourri last week, um, mm-hmm. and I hate to double down, but having watched it, I really wanted to talk about it this week as my potpourri. Um, it's, it's became one of the top five episodes of the whole series for me. Um, I just, I really loved, um, the, the style in which they told the story, the story of this episode. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spoil anything. Right, right. Um, what they did with this episode, the story that unfolds in the, the 95 minutes or so, the 90 minute long episode, um, I feel like in the past, this story would have been, we would have only gotten like a third of what we got in this episode. If they just would have drug it out for six episodes. <laughs> um, and this isn't a spoiler, but it turns out they're going to, it's going to lead into the second episode, which I think was fine. Nice. Cause it's, it's a really extensive event that occurs in this episode. So I, I'm, I'm completely fine with it taking two episodes or maybe even three, but it just, I, I really, I was so happy to see them take, take a story like this with so much, volume there's so much there and it's such a huge thing and they packed a lot of it into one episode it was really really exciting um and 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 through all of the action and the the drama and and everything that occurs in the movie or i'm sorry in this episode (laughs) uh they managed to to squeeze in to wonderfully squeeze in a lot of like character development and nice and and some very nice dialogue scenes Mm -hmm. um that, that I think have, have been some of the best, again, some of the best in the show's history so far. Um, I just really liked what they did. There's there's visual choices they made that were kind of threw me at first, but then I figured out what they were doing, 
it, I think they, they telegraphed it pretty well what they were doing or it was easy to figure out what they were doing. Um, and, and I just, I immediately was like, okay, this is a good idea. I like this. I, I like how they're presenting this. Um, it's, it's reminiscent of some other shows, not to say that they stole the idea, but right. it was, it was just a, a good choice as a story, t- storytelling tool, I think, a, a visual tool that they used. I'm trying to be as vague as possible. <laughs> um, uh, hopefully those of you who have already watched it will know what I'm talking about. When you say that it's reminiscent of other shows, are you talking about the, the technique of actually the, the nonlinear format of it or the, the plan that they had in place for the for the issue that they, the, the problem that they had? The storytelling process, not the story itself. Okay. The storytelling process. Well, oh, okay. The visual I, the visual way they tell the story. I think I got you. Yeah. Um, and also the nonlinear stuff. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's been used in so many other shows. Right. Um, uh, I just, I really loved, I, lo- I loved the choices they made for this this opening episode. Um, and I, I say this all the time with The Walking Dead because it's, it can be so hit or miss, but I hope they. I hope it carries on throughout the season, right. um, because that's that's what they've. We've said that before on this on this podcast. They will have a great, great episode, and I'm like, that's so good. And then the next one will just be uh, 43 minutes of them talking in a room, and then walking around in this in a in a storm and sitting around in a barn. Yeah, still did not like that episode. Yeah, I don't even really remember it that much. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, do, do you want me to talk about it for a bit? Yeah, I'll just say this okay. was a peak in the show of a sh- nice. uh, in a show that has tons of peaks and valleys. This was a really high peak. Nice, and it's and it's sixth season. This was the sixth season premiere. Yeah, um, titled First Time Again," yeah. uh, which that that's something that I really enjoyed. I I haven't finished the episode because, like I said, the damn source family got in the way, <laughs> and uh, so I got about twenty six minutes left in this in, the, in this episode. So it could all go tits up from my opinion of it now, <laughs> but. Uh, I really enjoyed that that kind of narrative technique that they that they utilized for it. I thought that was really cool. I thought the the big wide shots of their problem was like kind of really really uh, basic cable CGI kind of yeah, kind of green screen effects there. But with as successful as the show is, you think they could pull that off a little bit better? Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny because I'd seen I'd seen people online compare it to Hard Home, the episode of. Uh, 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 Game of Thrones. Oh yeah. Uh, just in terms of volume, I guess. Um, That's fair. And, yeah, and I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. I Hard see Home that. was definitely better. I mean. Yeah, yeah. I, I, like my my thought when seeing the scale of it, which isn't you know the the scale of the issue that they're dealing with, uh, was that okay? Yeah, this is an AMC budget. Um, <laughs> this they don't have HBO numbers. Yeah, or HBO no, HBO, HBO money. money, HBO money. Yeah, but um. Something that I did like about it, the first forty or fifty minutes of it that I saw, was uh, I I really liked the the inclusion or the the kind of growth of uh, Morgan and uh, Rick, and yeah. that's where the title of the episode comes from. Is that there? Uh, Morgan tells him that tells Rick that they need to that the uh, they need to start over. They need to meet again for the first time again. Yeah, and. I, I just really, I have such I have really high hopes for their dynamic Me too. Uh, going forward. Unless one or both of them die in the last twenty minutes of the episode, who knows with this show? Mm-hmm. But <laughs> since I haven't seen it yet, but um, I just really like their dynamic. And there's a scene where they're they're uh, this isn't really a spoiler, but they're they're transporting a body to bury it outside of the limits of the community. And Rick is very is very insistent that he's like, we don't, we don't bury, we don't bury killers in here or something. I yeah. can't do a Rick Grimes voice. And then Morgan's like, you're a killer and I'm a killer. Yeah. We're both killers. 
and it's just it's I feel like that that scene and that that the tone of that or the subtext of that dialogue between them I hope that that's kind of a a central theme to their arcs throughout the season because <clears throat> it's I, I'm just I have really high hopes for that based on that one scene um, also shot it was, it was kind of shot from you know trunk perspective almost in a style similar to tarantino it was very tarantino Uh, yeah only not as like in the trunk it's more like okay we took out the back seat and we're like shooting from inside yeah yeah. but you know they tried um assuming that that's what they were going for but yeah um new characters though ethan embry popped up as kind of a whiny yeah whiny uh worry uh worrier um (laughs) i can think of like a of a of a word for that, but um, I like him as an actor. I, I'm such a fan of his. I, you know, me too. Um, he, he, he was in obviously one of my favorite movies. Uh, Can't hardly wait. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm I hope that this brings back his career a little bit. Me too. I I loved him on Brotherhood. That's that's the show. Oh, yeah. The show Brotherhood. I think that's his best work he's ever done. Um, which strictly a dramatic performance. Uh, mm-hmm loved him in that show he's he's phenomenal he 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 missed out on awards in that show in my opinion so i was excited to see him yeah so again i haven't finished the episode but i want to mention uh oh what is his name oh my god straight out of compton um oh i can't think of his name either uh uh hawkins Uh, Corey hawkins Corey hawkins yeah uh Corey hawkins is in this in the is in this episode and he's in the cast now uh i believe he's going to be a series regular uh he plays heath and one thing that i one thing that i noticed was that uh having read the comics a a while ago i I haven't been kept up kept up with the comics in a while but he looks just like his his character in the comics oh wow he does yeah that's awesome i just showed tiny everyone yeah um and i really i have really high hopes because I'm, i want to see how he does because i've only seen him in straight out of compton i'd like to see him in in a role to see to get a good gauge of how his of, of what kind of range he has as an mm-hmm. actor yeah and uh i do want to mention i i really loved his scene with eugene in the beginning with or with with them uh, there, I yeah. just hearing Eugene say, "I respect the hair game." Yeah. <laughs> was so funny to me. Oh, Eugene. Yeah. So, yeah, and there, and I didn't, I didn't see the, I didn't see the promos or anything for it, but I feel like there had to have been a promo with, um, Daryl on the motorcycle with the, the things behind him. I'm, I heard. I, yeah, that that had to have been in the promos because yeah. that was way too. That felt like I was watching a promo for The Walking Dead mm-hmm. in the middle of The Walking Dead. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I still have 20 minutes. When we finish recording, I'm probably going to finish the episode and then, mm-hmm. you know, all that. But, but you know, so far I'm I'm into it. I think that it could be interesting. I'm basically having read the comics, and comic comic readers will probably agree with me here, or they'll know what I'm saying here is that I'm. At this point in the comics and at this point in the story, um, they're in Alexandria. Alexandria is an interesting is an interesting place for the characters to be in, but really, I'm just waiting for them to introduce a specific character. Um, I think I know who you're talking about. But yeah, I haven't read that far, but I've heard rumors. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, we'll see how they handle it. I there's no way that they can translate it to the to to the show. There's no way, but. There are events surrounding this character that I'm curious if they'll go for it in the books or if the or in the show, or if they'll uh, or if they won't play it safe. Yeah, because uh, hmm. 
Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. I don't yeah. know when, but it'll be interesting at some point. <laughs> I'm really it, it has me very excited for the season. So now it's just like a waiting game of when that wears off and they have subpar episodes. Right. It's basically what it is. It's just like, well, in three weeks I could be singing an entirely different tune. Right. We'll see. <laughs> Such is the case with The Walking Dead. Yes. So, um, should I go on to my potpourri? Please do. All right. So, um, I made a promise to you listeners last week that I was going to check out a lot of uh, new fall TV. And uh, I did, for the most part. I, I, I fulfilled my promise. I did not get to watch uh, Scream Queens because mm. I think the pilot was a lot longer than I expected. And I honestly, that was the lowest. Um, that was the least, the one that I was least interested in seeing. Well, one of the ones I was least interested in seeing. Um, and I just didn't get around to it. And mm-hmm. I, I'm sure I probably won't like it because I don't like Ryan Murphy that much. But um, the ones that I did watch is uh, I watched the pilot episode of Quantico. I watched 13 minutes of the pilot episode of Minority Report. <laughs> and I also watched the pilots for Grandfathered, The Grinder. And the Hulu uh, original series Casual. So I'll just get, go through these pretty briefly. I'm, Quant- really, I'm really curious about Quantico. Okay, interesting. I'm, I'm very curious. About nice. It. So I'll start off with that one. Yeah. Um, Quantico is about a group of a, a group of divor- uh, a group of diverse <laughs> but really gorgeous FBI recruits <laughs> at Quantico for training. Um, because it's a network show, they all have to be just stunningly good looking, which yes. whatever. Um, but it's, it's interesting cause the, cause it takes what, um, the narrative device or the narrative structure of it is it, it opens up with, um, the main character surrounded by rubble of Grand Central Station. Wow. After a bomb has exploded. Hmm. And then it flashes back to nine months ago. And, it goes to like her first day at at Quantico that it's it plays up some some kind of network drama tropes like she she uh has sex with a guy that she meets on a plane who just happens to be in in her academy oh, God. which there's there are reasons like there's it's not as ridiculous as it sounds cuz there are okay. there's extenuating circumstances that lead like like you can tell there's you know there's there's a reason for the, it wasn't a chance encounter it just happens to be there there was there was a reason for it but okay. um there's a bunch of different characters i don't i'm not going to go through all of them cuz i i don't i'm on the fence on whether or not i'm going to actually follow this show at all it did just get picked up for a full i think either a full season order or just a they ordered more episodes. I think it was a full season order because they got their back nine. Okay. So, um, the show interchanges between present day where the bomb went off and, uh, the past. So that kind of, that kind of didn't really work well for me. Cause I was kind of hoping that it would be more like, a more like a, uh, you just see a flash of it and then that's how they hook you at the end or something like that. But then again, I guess you got to keep it going week to week. Right. Um, <sighs> Seeing the interplay of of the of the recruits is 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 fine. It was it was okay. It was I I, I hate this in network shows so much. I sent a message in the pod chat to you to you and Mike Tiny um, about this, but it's like you get like the the uh, 
the assistant director of Quantico or whatever the whatever the title is, like she is talking to um one of her subordinates or something like that. And then like there's a line of dialogue where it's just the two of them talking. The guy says something to her, and then she says, You gotta remember I'm not your partner anymore and I'm not your girlfriend anymore. It's like, <laughs> like the way that she says it, it was like, it made more sense the way that I said it, but the vernacular that she used, the actual words, it's like, okay, you, no one talks like that. No, <laughs> like you're telling this to the audience. You're, you're, she might as well have been looking right in the camera. Exactly. Exactly. It, yeah. it felt like that. It was like, it, basically she was like, Hey guys, I used to bang this guy and we used to be partners, but now I'm uh, on, like I'm on top of him. Not like literally, <laughs> but like, <laughs> In the chain of command, I'm I'm um, in charge of him basically. Um, yeah, so it's just I hate that kind of forced exposition throat down your throats kind of dialogue. And- By the way, doesn't my rack look great? That's <laughs> <Right>. you know. <laughs> That's what I think of when I watch the the promos. I've seen the promo for Quantico about twenty times. Yeah, because like watching like Modern Family and stuff, which is mm-hmm. on ABC. I see the promos for it, and I was just like, "That looks so network to me." It it is. It's, just, it's so. It's like, it's like one of their, and it's so it's so goofy because it's like it's it's Quantico. It's like it's yeah. like the the training academy for the FBI. Right. And their like first assignment is that the is that the everyone in the academy has like like they they have these uh these case files for them on these on these tables and then they're like their boss is like your like investigation is the big point of of the FBI so what you're going to do is you're going to take these files have everything that we've got on on your on your uh your classmates at the academy except one item has been redacted your job will be to find out what that item is <laughs> and like you you just they just randomly pick and then yeah. that leads to this really kind of just ham-fisted uh thrill in 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 the middle of the pilot that's ends with one of the characters dying um <laughs> it's jeez <laughs> yeah it's so it's so i don't i i'm not going to spoil it but it's it's so it was so just really ham-fisted and forced. It was, I don't know. But um, by the end of the episode, it was, you know, uh, I was kind of into it a little bit. Um, and when I say that there are diverse, the, there's diversity in there. It's like literally like the the opening shot of the episode is like all across the world, like all of these different types of people there. And then oh, like okay. since there's a since there's the threat of terrorism, and it's on network TV, one of them has to be a Muslim woman mm-hmm. to kind of make make you know american audiences think you know is it her and like uh you know obviously they're not going to do that right but they do have like a very strange very strange subplot for for that character that uh-huh. i don't know how they i don't know how to how to explain it, it it's this is a spoiler it's it's such a weird like uh the plot thread that they established with that is that they someone notices something off about about her in the middle of the episode and then there's the the end of that of that episode shows the reason why that thing was off and so it introduces a new mystery surrounding this character that's so ridiculous it's like it's weird it it feels to me like we have the show that has that that is leading toward an event 
like a big a big time event. Mm -hmm. So what this character subplot specifically tells to me is that they're introducing this red herring mystery so that so that uh audiences will think like what's 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 going on with her and that'll that'll burn up maybe two three episodes <laughs> uh of time cuz it's not going to be it's not going to be she's not going to be involved in it or anything and there's it's it's just it it was weird i can't go into specifics about it cuz it's a it's so new it's so it's so new but yeah um yeah it's ridiculous it's okay. it's so ridiculous and then the uh she's the she's kind of the star isn't she the no uh, no no. that's another character the the star yeah. of the character i don't know what i can't remember what her name is. is yeah she she was in something else maybe and that's why she's famous but i haven't seen that thing <laughs> priyanka chopra there you go yeah what was she in i don't she's know she's an indian actress yeah and she was in Oh no! I think she's just a Bollywood star. Oh, she's she came oh, right. from Bollywood. Oh, okay. Yeah, did not know that. Yeah, and she's good. And it's interesting because the the pilot ends on a note that I didn't, you know, I didn't expect it to go the way that it did because I kind of thought that I can't go into, I can't do it without spoiling it. But um, the kind of hook at the end of the at the end of the episode in the present day after the attack uh, puts her in a very unique position. And it kind of felt a little bit reminiscent of 24 on its best days or in its best season, I should say. <laughs> um, but, you know, I don't know if it's enough to really, really hook me in, into it. Okay. So, so yeah, uh, Quantico was, you know, I don't know. It was okay. <laughs> but, Tiny. Yeah. The next show, <laughs> I only got 13 minutes into it. Yeah. Uh, the pilot episode of Minority Report. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I really like the style of the the future tech, mm -hmm. but the story just didn't grab me. It takes place after the movie, um, and it's where the precogs have been, are like living their lives, and one of them is going, he still has these visions of the future, mm -hmm. so he's trying to prevent these crimes from happening, and uh. he's failing miserably. Um, so he's going so he meets up with a with a detective and i think from there it becomes a procedural that yeah. is just a case of the week kind of thing um didn't really hook me in those first 13 minutes uh, like i said i really liked the the style of the of the future tech but that was more just like i like the idea of investigators looking at a crime scene and using um um uh oh, what's the word i'm looking for um augmented reality in order okay. to to look to see what what was there before okay um yeah other than that not really that good it, I, I did i hear that it didn't do very well either ratings wise yeah it didn't do well i think okay. it's it, there's been like four episodes but i don't think oh. it's i don't think it's done much okay uh of anything substantial and rating ratings wise um it's no quantico it hasn't gotten a full season pickup i don't think <laughs> but uh couple other couple other uh pilots i watched um i believe these are both on fox but grandfathered and the grinder tiny do you know anything about grandfathered i uh, know so it's a sitcom starring john stamos who has aged incredibly well yeah like that dude is just handsome as hell yeah um it's him josh peck christina million and paget brewster and john stamos plays kind of a <laughs> in my notes i have him listed as 
playing a Barney Stinson at 50 kind of character, which is exactly <laughs> what it sounds like. Yeah. Um, even down to kind of some of the similar mannerisms that uh, he kind of, it feels like he's borrowing a little bit from Neil Patrick Harris. Okay. Um, which is okay. I mean, he, he's, it works for him because like I said, he's handsome as hell. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's like, you know, he, he can't commit to a relationship. He doesn't believe in relationships, all that stuff. So he's he's a successful um, restaurateur, I guess, or restauranteer, restaurateur, restauranteur, restauranteur. Yeah, yeah. So I just made myself look like an idiot. Um, That's a fun, fun word. Yeah, yeah. Um, then one day, uh, Josh Peck shows up and says, "Hey, I'm your son. Huh. You've never met me. By the way, here's my daughter, your grandfather." Wow. And uh, that premise alone, like that shocks that shocks John Stamos and he has a hard time adjusting to it. And that premise alone is actually strong enough there to sustain at least the first season. Mm-hmm. But then they kind of just really overplayed their hand. And uh, a few scenes later, they introduced that Josh Peck's character is in love with his the, the mother of his child who they're just friends. But they, you know, they had like one night together and uh, she had a baby. So they're raising it together, but not together because they're just friends. Right. Uh, yet he's in love with her. So he, so he sought out the ladies' man dad that he's never met in his life just to get his, avi- his advice on wooing her, <laughs> which that's just like that's, – That's that's stupid. It's so dumb. It's so – it's way too far. It's so dumb. But – uh, from there it's you know it's not it's not that bad really it's hmm. uh it has kind of an endearing quality to it there's a lot of uh there's a lot of chemistry and and uh potential in the the kind of shattered relationship between John Stamos and uh Paget Brewster actually who plays hmm. Josh Josh Peck's mom in it okay um the the pilot kind of leaves on a of on a sweet note um that hints at their relationship previous to uh the kid being mm-hmm. born um josh peck's character being born okay and uh it also has a nice uh a nice reference to uh kramer versus kramer which is a which is a really good movie hmm. nice um is it a half hour sitcom yeah yeah okay it's a 30 minute sitcom uh it's on it's available on hulu right now yeah um and kind of following kind of following the uh the the pattern here the grandfathered is pretty good the grinder not really that great. Really? Um, yeah, it's, uh, first of all, have you, do you know anything about the show? Nothing at all. Okay. So the grinder stars Rob Lowe, Fred Savage, Mary Elizabeth Ellis, and I almost said Winstead, um, <laughs> and William Devane from, uh, uh, 24. Okay. And he was in, he was in something else before 24, but he was, I, don't, uh, I can't picture him. Yeah. He was the, uh, secretary of state that Jack Bauer worked for in seasons. Four and six. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Audrey Um, Audrey Reigns is that? Yeah, there you go. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, um, executive producer on the grinder is Nicholas Stoller, who I, I, that, that piqued my interest because I like him a lot. He directed, uh, Forgetting Star, Forgetting Star Marshall. Okay. And, uh, a couple other things. He, I, uh, I think he was involved in, in Undeclared as well. Hmm. So, that kind of that you know kind of got got me excited, but the plot is that Rob Lowe plays an actor in a midlife crisis who also Rob Lowe's great has aged amazingly well. Oh yeah. Um. So screw them. Uh, <laughs> but, but he's he's going through kind of a midlife crisis after the legal drama that he starred in called The Grinder uh, airs its series finale. So the show opens with him at 
his brother, played by Fred Savage, uh, at the, at his house with his family and their father, um, watching the series finale. And then Fred Savage plays kind of a bitter, a kind of bitter, like in the shadow younger brother guy who he's an actual attorney <laughs> with an actual law practice and, uh, in this kind of small town. And so Rob Lowe kind of decides to live with his lawyer brother and his family and insert himself into his legal practice. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, the premise sounds kind of interesting, but it's, it's kind of just kind of silly really. Yeah. Um, and William Devane as, as their dad is like, he's inexplicably excited about the idea. Like, I think he's also a lawyer in the show and it makes no sense to me why, like why he'd be so excited about it. Um, yeah. Yeah, so so the pilot kind of goes through this whole thing where Rob Lowe convinces his brother's client to go to trial, even though it's just a simple eviction case. Uh-huh. Um, and there's a big spectacle over it, like news crews uh, cover it because it's it's the grinder, yeah. um, like on the case. And uh, the actual trial is really over the top, really silly, really <laughs> just dumb, goofy. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it has some redeeming qualities, like uh, Kumail Nanjiani... Uh, who I I love. He's awesome. He's fantastic. Oh my god! Yeah, I got to so see. So funny. Oh yeah, I got to see him live at um, Old National Center. Nice. Uh, over the summer during Gen Con, actually, it was part of their Cards Against Humanity thing. Nice. He he killed it. He was amazing. Um, uh, never use a urinal the same way again. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but anyway, so it was kind of funny seeing him cause he, he just has a bit part in the pilot. I'm, I imagine he might come back in, in future episodes, but uh, it's funny cause he was kind of being the straight man in the ridiculous legal scenario on, okay. on, in the courtroom. Um, so I probably won't revisit it. I might, I might go back and I might get caught up with uh, grandfathered and report back on that, but I don't think the grinder is really for me. Finally, <laughs> uh, I've been talking a lot. Yeah, you have. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Um, <laughs> it's okay. So rounding us out, since I didn't get to watch Scream Queens like I promised, I think there might be one other show that I said that I was going to watch, but I never got around to. Um, instead of that, I watched Casual. Have you heard about the show at all? Nothing. Okay, so it's an original Hulu presentation, original Hulu series uh, on Hulu. Say Hulu more times. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of about a group of, of, of a man, his sister, and her daughter living under the same roof, roof uh, they're all single and they're kind of living single lives under in, in the same house. Um, so it's an interesting thing. Like the man is, they're all like troubled characters. Um, it, it opens with the three of them at the funeral of the man and sister's dad. Mm. And it's like, they're doing like a running commentary on their blase attitude toward the entire, the idea of mourning the man. Hmm. It's kind of it's really off putting, and and there's a lot of cynical comments about their their mother's like the way that they perceive her mother their mother as like feigned grieving uh, over over the casket. It's it's really weird. It's it's from from the beginning it does not hook you onto these characters. Um, then later on in the episode you kind of learn that the man is depressed and he's just kind of a non committal kind of man whore kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he he survived a, su- a, a suicide attempt uh, before the series began. Yeah. Um, and then the sisters kind of, or, or his sister's going through a bitter divorce, and the daughter is a teenager who 
has problems. Like she has guy problems. She's promiscuous. Okay. Um, which is exactly how I wrote in my notes, and that was not intentional. <laughs> uh, she's a bit promiscuous, and she's trying to find find her her self sexually, I guess. Yeah. Um, and the man owns and runs an online dating site. Oh, okay. Uh, so you know it it's got some pieces there, but. The show just starts, just tries really hard from the beginning to just cast the characters in a really unflattering light. And uh, they do get a little better as the pilot plays out, but I couldn't really get attached to the story or anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know if I don't, I, I won't watch anymore. But there's, yeah. there's some funny, there's some funny bits about like uh, the man sets, uh, he goes into the the dating the dating site and basically sets him up with a girl and his sister up with a man, <laughs> and they both go to the same restaurant and and have their dates separately. Um, wow! And they each go pretty awful. It's pretty funny because uh, his date is <laughs> is with a woman who is played by um, I believe she's played by the I can't remember her name, but she's the wife of Glenn Howerton. Um, oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and uh, she's she plays like a a very off putting like fitness nut, and uh, yeah, she's there's there's some dialogue there that's that's pretty pretty funny and and almost worth seeing that checking the show out. I should mention that this the pilot episode and the show was uh, uh, the pilot episode was directed by oh my god what's his name uh, the guy that directed Up in the Air, mm, uh, oh, Jason Reitman. Jason Reitman, yeah. yeah. And I think he's an EP on the show. Okay. Um. So it's so it's it's is there interesting. Anyone, is there anyone famous in it? Uh, nope, not off the top of my head. Wow. Um. Although I will say that the guy that plays the main the main man, uh, the one man of the three, uh, he kind of has this like he has an interesting charisma to him, but he's kind of he kind of uh, masks his charisma in a in a veneer of kind of wry humor and assholeish behavior kind of it's kind of like he is uh putting on a uh jason sudeikis vibe okay without the kind of endearing like like good naturedness that i see that sudeikis has perfected okay um, hmm. yeah so that is my report on the fall tv shows yeah <laughs> um the new ones a, a handful of them um, let me know what you think if you uh, if you've watched any of them or watch any shows that are new that uh, you think that I should check out and then probably won't get around to. <laughs> um, yeah, so that about does it. Like I said, we're we're going to uh, Heartland Film Festival where we got press passes and we're going to report on that. Um, mm-hmm. And we hope to weeks. see many of you at Shocktober and Irvington too. Screw that. We hope to see all of you, all of you at Shocktober and Irvington too. Like. Everyone, like if you're <laughs> listening to this, you need to come to Shocktober and Irvington, even if you're not in Indianapolis. Yeah, um, I'm just kidding, but yeah, we do hope to see see you guys there. And if you are going to Shocktober and Irvington and you are going because you heard us talk about it, you know, come up and talk to us. Um, yeah, you know, after the event or whatever, because we would love to hear from you because we don't get to really talk to people that listen to the podcast um, in person that aren't our friends and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> So yeah, uh, yeah. So that that about does it. And uh, also, we might have something special next week for uh, the holiday on Wednesday, which is Back to the Future Day. Uh-huh. Uh, we're still kind of working on that. Uh, we might have something for you. I hope we do, but uh, we'll see. Uh, on that note, uh, yeah, next week we'll release Shark Tone Irvington, I think, and uh, in the special episode. So that's what you got to look forward to next week. And anything you want to say, Tiny? I love you.
All of you. Okay, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like you as a friend, Tiny. And you're cool, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. This got weird. It did. Okay. Enjoy your Sharktobers, everybody. Yes, enjoy your Sharktobers, and uh, see you Friday. Yep. And I love you, too. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks. I'm going to preface this by saying I'm really single. Um, <laughs> the pun that I made was, <clears throat> and I quote, the crew of the Enterprise were surprised when the transporter beamed up a dog. The dog, uh, crap, I just f***ed. <laughs> I hope that, um, this is going to be long-winded. I'm sorry. I was actually sitting here like thinking, thinking like, wow, he actually remembers it word by word. He's not going to pull it up. <laughs> oh, Tiny, I've been telling this to people with pride <laughs> for the last several days. Nice. So, okay, here it is. Um, and the pun that I made was on the was on the Facebook page, and uh, here it is, and I quote. Thank you for listening to The Obsessive Viewer, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find more of our episodes at ovpodcast.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app. The Obsessive Viewer's theme song is An Eclipse of Events and is provided by Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. You can find that and more great music from them on iTunes and like their Facebook page at facebook.com slash loudlikemusic. Any and all feedback on the podcast is encouraged. You can email the hosts individually at matt, tiny, or mike at obsessiveviewer.com or send an email to the podcast in general at podcast at obsessiveviewer.com. Check out the Obsessive Viewer blog at obsessiveviewer.com where we post movie and TV reviews and the occasional editorial about the business of entertainment. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the obsessive viewer and follow us on Twitter at obsessive viewer at obsessive tiny and at I am Mike white. If you want more obsessive content in your life, check out our sister site, obsessivebooknerd.com for book reviews, author spotlights and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious, check out Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com and subscribe to the podcast on the podcatcher of your choice. Again, thank you so much for listening. We love you. Be excellent to each other. <laughs>